welcome to the Suicide Prevention Show. We are all about making suicide, especially teen suicide, a thing of the past. We appreciate our sponsors. This show is brought to you by the Emotional Intelligence Community at becominggenuine.com. And without any more ado, I cannot wait. You guys are so lucky. If you are listening to this episode, get ready. We are taking you into a world that you probably didn't realize existed. There's a whole land and the land is where leaders collaborate. Oh yes, it's possible. And to take us into what's possible when leaders collaborate is my friend, Don Dulu. All right, Don. I blew your name. I'm sorry. That's pronounce funny. your last name. It's pronounced Diulio. Diulio. Yeah. Thank you. Italian. Yeah. Maybe a little Italian. Yeah, just a little Italian. <laughs> Don, thank you so much for making time to be on the show today. I so appreciate that. Well, Jackie, you're welcome. And again, thank you for offering me the opportunity to speak a little bit about a subject that you know, I'd like to know more about, and perhaps I know enough to uh, be dangerous, And uh, but the ideas are here to share. Awesome. All right. So leadership, it means a bunch of different things. So we're just going deep dive. Leadership means different things to different people. What does it mean in the world according to Dom? Well, again, it, a lot of it is different things, different people, and it, it basically allows the basic form of leadership is to be in a position to influence others to accomplish a task. That's about as simple as it gets. Wow, that is pretty simple, okay. Now, the act of doing that along the way sprouts out in I don't know how many different permutations, but that's where it gets interesting. Okay, so take us where it's interesting. Well, a lot of what you, you see with leadership has has to do with uh, working with teams in, in some cases. And in some cases, it's, it's working across organizations. And in another, another situation, it's op operating between leaders. So those are the three aspects that I'm looking at right now. And would like to share with you, when you're operating within a team, you typically have a single leader who get, gathers the team together and it is usually assigned a, a goal or a mission. And in order to accomplish that mission, he, the leader has to apply various forms of leadership to create the momentum, the motivation, the insight, or allow the team to function to achieve that objective. Okay, hold it. This is starting to sound very military. It starts from a military perspective. From my perspective, that's where my background is but it does apply across organizations. Well, I can believe that, but I'm going to invite you to tell me the story of when you actually got this concept. Well, one, one of the things that happened uh, at one point, I was the commanding officer of a cutter and I was working drug enforcement patrols down in the Caribbean. Well, and, and okay, I'm just gonna let that resonate for just a second. What branch of the service were you in? I'm in the Coast Guard. And you were doing drug patrols? Drug enforcement patrols. Okay, we, so that, that sounds like high anxiety and um, hazardous duty. It can be a little bit high stress, absolutely. Okay. 
Wow. So our, our mission down there was to look for, search, identify, and intercept any suspect vessels. And our profile for suspect vessel at the time was a number of Colombians were using uh, 33 foot go fast vessels with 600 horsepower worth of engines on the back end of them, open boat, transiting from the coast of Colombia to the Yucatan Peninsula. And they would typically carry about one and a half to two tons of cocaine in, in the open boat and they would refuel along the way. This, the uh, engines would allow for about a, a 30 knot speed of transit, so we couldn't intercept them on our own. Our cutter was capable of doing 18 knots. Whoops. Yeah. So, so we had to uh, strategically place ourselves and also rely on our air surveillance assets, whether it's a fixed wing aircraft overhead, or we also carried a helicopter on our deck, which we use for surveillance as well. Okay, so I'm getting this. You're out in the middle of the deep blue sea trying to spot a fast moving object. Yeah, which has a low profile and a low radar signature, so they're difficult to detect. Oh, got it. All right, so I hadn't thought about that, but that would make sense. All right, so they're trying to get fly under the radar. We've all heard that. Exactly. Okay, they're trying to ride under the radar. Got it. Wow. So, so the uh, the story comes about from the from the fact that we had a a multi unit uh, in, intercept with we had a. Uh, a C-130 flying overhead detected a, a go fast coming out middle of the middle of the afternoon. Thought they could, they didn't expect anyone to be there, and the aircraft saw them and we decided to uh, track them and follow them to the point where the go fast was frustrated and turned around and headed back to uh, Colombia, and in the process decided to. Uh, got so frustrated they decided to save their skins and not get caught with the contraband they just jettisoned it overboard into the ocean. Oh, <laughs> well, that takes pollution to a whole new level. Well, it's, it's all hermetically sealed in plastic wrappers so it's not going to sink. It these, these bales of cocaine actually float on the ocean surface. So the aircraft started circling over the location, gave us the position and we, we then transited from our location mm -hmm. and actually were able to locate the bales of cocaine in the water, so we picked them up. So that's cocaine at the time that did not arrive in the United States or in Mexico for that matter. The story gets interesting from there in that our Atlantic area commander instructed us to take these 42 bales of cocaine which are about 70, 80 pounds a piece, uh, and, and dispose of them at sea. Okay, so why are we picking them up out of the water and then turning around and disposing them at sea? Now, basically, as part of our, we're also an environment, environmentally conscious mm -hmm. uh, service in that we also uh, enforce the pollution, maritime pollution uh, rules and regulations. We cannot dispose of the plastic at sea. So now you have to segregate the plastic from the cocaine. Holy Toledo. <laughs> so my first, my first uh, exposure in, in actually working what I call collaborative style and collaborative leadership had to do with getting a team together on the cutter, 
of, of the, several members of the crew. I had about 75 people in the crew. We got about 20, 25 people together and said, we've been instructed to dispose this at sea. How are we gonna do this safely so nobody gets hurt, nobody gets cocaine poisoning. Oh yeah. Um, and we retain the plastic on board. So we devised a plan. It took us about two hours to devise a plan, but everybody had the same amount of input. So the objective was to create a plan that would work and achieve that, those objectives. Okay, so it helps to know what you're trying to accomplish. How will you know you're successful? Sounds like the first question you all started with. Yeah, we wouldn't know we're successful until we actually went through the process. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's true. I mean, at, the, at the end, if you had this and this without that, that would be success. Right. Okay, got it. So the, the challenge was presented to us in, in such a manner that we were going to do it. And, and we felt that the best way to do that was actually literally suit up a couple of uh, crewmen in hazmat suits, protective uh, rubber gloves and everything. The cocaine's 97% pure. You don't want to get the, I mean, and it's absorbable through the skin. So you want to keep people safe by keeping them protected. But in the same time, you have to open those packages and opening them on the deck with a relative wind of about 15 knots uh, lends to the cocaine becoming airborne because it's dust dusty. Yeah. So we decided that we we're going to cut these open with knives underwater. Okay. All right. So that would eliminate the blow risk. That eliminates the blow risk. Okay. And we would make sure that we would test the, uh, the, the hands and the gloves and what have you to make sure the, the, the gloves were properly sealed by having them dip their hands in the water and hold them there for a while to make sure. And then the best thing you do from a personal personnel perspective, make sure that when the people are using the knives, they don't cut through any of that protective material. Oh, yeah. <laughs> details. Yeah, minor details. So how are we going to get this now cocaine solution overboard into the ocean after we've dissolved the cocaine in the water? So we, we rigged a what we call an eductor pump where we pump water into this 55-gallon drum that we're using for our cocaine opening uh, that, mm -hmm. and that pump would pump water in at the same time. There was an outflow pump on the other side, which would suck the water over the overboard and we trailed that overboard. And that was the idea behind it. Now, Sounds good so far. a couple of days, our Atlantic Area Commander changed his mind. He said, we're not gonna do that, <laughs> but we had a plan. We met the objective. So we collaborated to meet that objective. Now, the Atlantic commander decided to change, to change the scope of the mission and directed us to transfer the cocaine to the Mexican Navy. So, so, and that was based on a State Department negotiation with the government of Mexico. In other words, since Mexico was the projected entry point for the cocaine that we intercepted, the idea was, let's give the Mexicans credit for the cocaine interdiction. And okay, I, and, and my brain went someplace totally different, but you know, <laughs> my brain went to, 
let's just complete the objective of the drug cartel and get the cocaine into Mexico. And yeah. I, so we're but looking at the government side. From the political side of it, now they were going to be the ones to dispose of it. It was going to be very public that they had it. It was very public. It. it was very, very public in that regard. And we also gave them a physical description of the boat we, we, uh, we saw doing this. So after we, we, we rendezvoused at sea to transfer the cocaine to the Mexican frigate, the Mexican frigate took it into Cozumel and, and then uh, made, they made their announcement public shortly thereafter. Uh, we were done with that particular episode, but the feedback we got back was, we know how much cocaine we transferred to them and what they announced that they had interdicted was 300 pounds less. <laughs> So somebody must have been in my, this is me speculating. Somebody must have been uh, skimming off the top and a little grafting gratuity somewhere. But the interesting thing about it was they went into the entire coastline, about 60 mile, 80 mile range of coastline in, in Mexico and seized 30 go fast that fit the description. Oh, effectively shutting down the entire operation. Wow. All right. So when leaders collaborate, it doesn't have to be perfect to be a really positive outcome. It, it doesn't have to be perfect. And I think the, perhaps the best uh, expression of collaborative leadership that I, that I can come up with, it's a purposeful relationship uh, in which all parties are strategically thinking about the desired outcome they're seeking. All right, so a purposeful relationship in which all parties are... Are looking for a shared outcome. A, okay, so, so purposeful with a common purpose. Right. Okay. Exactly. So not just on purpose, but with a clear agreed upon purpose. Exactly. On purpose, and I'd like to add on purpose with intent. Okay. And, and so that was one of my first exposures to, to that in terms of working within a team. Mm -hmm. Now, as I go forth further, a couple of years later, I'm working in Coast Guard International Affairs and we're working with uh, the Navy International Programs Office. And part of that was we're looking to uh, sell retired Coast Guard boats and vessels to other foreign countries. And the Coast Guard doesn't have a mechanism to do that. And we were directed by legislation, by congressional legislation to do it with the Navy's International Programs Office. So we needed to have a, a, a memorandum of understanding created to do that. So we met several times with them to create that shared outcome that we're seeking. So that's, that's an example of working uh, between organizations, if you will. Okay, so what I'm hearing is there's a process that has to be in place for this. There does have to be a process and people have to understand what that process is and what the steps are. Cool. In that. All right, so we've got now we have purpose and we have process and have intention. And these are the things that leaders need to be cognizant of in order to have a successful collaboration. Exactly. 
And so I'm finding, you know, I'm like, okay, let's get some, some real life examples here because as I've entered the nonprofit world and I am the co-founder, I'm the, the sort of the driving wedge of the Teen Suicide Prevention Society, I'm meeting all kinds of other people who have other nonprofits and other programs. And so I'm being invited into these strategic conversations. And you've given me a great deal of um, potential in the fact that, okay, why would we meet? What is our purpose? What is our intent? And you know, getting that clear first. So thank you. Um, all right, so you were now in this whole international realm, which one day I may end up being there as well. So what, other than you said you had several meetings, why did, I'm on I'm finding I am too lazy to waste time. Okay, I get it. I like things that are why several meetings. Well, part of that is getting the terminology down for the actual document in the memorandum. A shared language. Shared language. You need that shared language. And if the and I have another example of, of that that I worked even later uh, in my career with a shared language. And again, between organizations and the shared language uh, in the military, a lot of people think of the military as being highly directive in this leadership. There's a time and a place for that. It's called the battlefield. Mm. But as you're planning and preparing the forces, it, there's time for collaboration. There's time for planning. And, and I, I recall this is just kind of a, a an interesting comment that I've heard many times uh, in, in planning in the military. Mm. A good plan never survives first contact with the enemy. I have heard that. Yeah. I've heard that. That, um, that, that a plan, that a battle plan never survives contact with the enemy. Right. So, and, and, and then the corollary there is why did the, several Soviet officers would often say in and as we're meeting with them in the 80s, that part of the reason why we had such, they had such difficulty in, in trying to counter our, our maneuvers is that they, they knew that the United States followed that and that allowed a degree of discretion and authority to their commanders in the field to adapt and, and, uh, and change their plans and their, their courses of action on the fly. And in a more, rigid or totalitarian type of a government, uh, they have to report that to headquarters before they can make any changes. You know, they say that that's how the Americans won the Revolutionary War. That's, that's a good part of it too, absolutely. Every time you turn around, uh, General Clinton or, or General Cornwallis uh, would have to report back to the Crown. And while they're awaiting orders, especially in that time and day, yeah, and they marched in a straight line. Yeah. Yeah. Bill Cosby had a great line about that at one point. It just came to mind. And he said, what happens if you flip a coin before a battle? And you got the Confederates, I mean, you got the revolutionaries on one side and the, and the, uh, and the British on the other side. And it's, all right, George, General Washington, you're the home team. Give uh, General Cornwallis a, the... Uh, the call for the flip. He calls heads. I'm sorry, it's tails. George, what do you want to do? He said, basically, 
I want to be able to hide behind rocks and trees, and I want them to wear red coats and march in a straight line. <laughs> that's pretty much what was happened, and you're right. That's a great, great line. And, and, and you talk about an unfair advantage, potentially. So the flexibility in battle is critical, and battle plans never survive contact with the enemy. But yet planning seems to be an essential part of everything that you're talking about in leadership. So pull us into the entrepreneurial world because there's a wider application of this. Well, and, and you're absolutely right. And what, one of the things I was looking at briefly was entrepreneurs are independent by nature. Some entrepreneurs have teams which could effectively function very similarly to how the team aboard the cutter functioned for me. Mm -hmm. But when a leader is talking with a leader, now you're looking at what are your shared visions? What are your shared goals and opportunities? What are your, what are your shared outcomes? You really have to have that dialogue and discussion. You really need to be open to how other people think and open to uh, their communication because they may come up with something that might benefit you quite well that you'd never really thought about. Yeah, and I'm dealing with that in the joint venture space a lot, where I'm i um, I'm a relatively flexible, um, leaning towards the fly by the seat of my pants kind of person, um, which is how I ended up with all of the things that I do, like this summit. It was, oh we've got an epidemic. We were dealing with a wave of teen suicide. COVID hit. We're not looking at trying to get ahead of a wave anymore. Now we're looking at a full-fledged tsunami and we need to do something different. And that's how this got born. And it was all, the first one was put together, pulled together with 24 speakers in less than two weeks. And I think that's a phenomenal job to be able to accomplish that. Yeah, and it was messy, <laughs> and yet it got it done. Now, I had a basic understanding of summits because I had been doing them for the Woman Entrepreneur Network because that was the my primary um, business focus was that um, niche. To shift and to create something else, you know, I had that other plan, so at least I had a baseline. But I'm walking into some joint venture conversations and some people have plans that are so precise that they're actually um, like strangling. They feel very strangling. So I love what you're talking about, about creating a process where you have a shared language, a shared vision and shared outcomes without necessarily defining the process first. No, it, it, it's essential that you, you define the parameters of what you're discussing as opposed to the process. The process is the basic relation, relationship and the interaction between two people or more people, two or more people, I should say. Okay. So let's not structure, a, we got to do the process by doing A, then B, then C, then D. Let's put things out on the table and say, this is my vision, what's yours, you know? Mm -hmm. Share it. Uh, is, there, is, is there a way we can work together? Uh, 
uh, I can help support you in this area. Would you be willing to support me in, in this area? And mm -hmm. that's the basic premise of a joint venture in the entrepreneurial world is willingness to help each other grow together. Awesome. I really, really like that. And that's where, since I've retired from Coast Guard, you know, it's kind of fun to look back on some of this stuff, but that's where the seeds of, of, of learning were. But now I'm using this process in the entrepreneurial space, uh, entrepreneur to entrepreneur with the joint venture process. Mm-hmm. Okay, so entrepreneur to entrepreneur with the joint venture process. We are now dubbing all entrepreneurs as leaders. You may not have known you were becoming a leader when you signed up to be an entrepreneur. You may think that being a solopreneur means you don't have to lead anybody. It's just you, you can wing it. I'm gonna tell you, that's not the way it works. <laughs> well, I would, I would say that it's absolutely essential for an entrepreneur to think of themselves as a leader. Even if they're right now, you may only be a leader of one, but if you're looking to put your information, your material, your product out into the space, out into the marketplace, you have to have lead, some type of leadership attributes to make that happen, make it stick. Okay, so and, we're gonna peel back to that point. Give me a short list of leadership attributes. No, first of all, a, a leader needs to be competent in, in themselves, but confident uh, in themselves with humility. Uh, the biggest issue that, that I saw in, in examples of poor leadership in the, in the military, just to reach back there for a moment, were those who thought too highly of themselves and put themselves first. Uh, I've always felt that uh, ever since I, I began teaching leadership uh, 20, 25 years ago, it, and uh, we, we it introduced a concept to the cadets at the Coast Guard Academy of servant leadership. How am I here to serve my followers as we proceed down the path toward achieving our objective? So we always taught the process of to be a good leader, you have to learn how to follow first because there's always someone who's more senior to you in the coast in the service. So to be a good, to be a good leader, you have to know how to follow, mm -hmm. but you also have to know how to do that. So you can respect and understand the people you're leading. So, okay. so that so, one attribute is to be flexible and to realize that how you follow is how you'll lead. Uh, it's, it, it happens all too often. You see that all too often. Cool. So you, we talk about trust. Uh, and again, if you're a business owner, what is the first objective you're, you're, try, you're trying to accomplish? You're trying to accomplish the trust of the customer. So you need to get to know your customers. They need to get to know you. And if you follow that up with, they'll not do business with you unless they like you, but mm. neither will they not do business with you if they don't trust you. Well, yeah, that's actually more important than being liked. Oh, absolutely. You know, I may have had them in the wrong order, but no like and trust are critical. Uh, and then here's, here's the other thing there. When, when we talk leadership, a lot of people are placed in positions of authority and they're told, and as, once you have established a positional power by virtue of that authority, you're a leader. How you use that power 
from that position standpoint can affect how the people that you're leading relate to you. You can have, you can have the positional power and you can be rather autocratic in how you relate to people, but mm -hmm. you have just expended or canceled out any potential for the other element of leadership power. And that's your personal power based on how you lead and, and basically the personal power that you have as a leader is derived from and conveyed from the people you lead. Okay, so we got that. Personal power is bestowed. Is bestowed and, and uh, positional power is as a result of the position you carry in the organization and what the organization has said, this is what your position is and this is what you need to do. Mm-hmm, okay. So how does that play out in this conversation of creating a collaborative partnership among other leaders? We're going to call this solopreneur to solopreneur. You know, we, we want to do something together. We both accepted that we're here to serve our constituents. We want to serve each other. So the win-win is the assumed outcome. What's the first step? Or what do we need to be watching out for? Because we already established, we don't have to like each other, but we do have to trust each other. Got that. So what, one of the first things you're looking to do is to identify if the, if the person is authentic in, in their approach. If they're, and what is their intent? How do they, how do they present themselves to you in, in the context of being a potential partner? Okay, so we're just looking to see, do we get along and uh, do I trust them? This is the trust factor. You have to open the dialogue with that establishment of, of the trust factor and get a, get a firm understanding of what the position the other person is coming from. Mm -hmm. So you get to know them as what are their goals, what are their objectives, perhaps what their vision is. Really understand where they are. And then to the point where it's appropriate to share that with them, what your goals and visions are, that's where now you get to the point where you've established that potential for trust. You might ask people how they approach and how they do join ventures. How do they, how do they, what is your, what is your uh, experience with joint ventures? If you've been doing them regularly, do you meet your time commitments? I think part of being a good leader is, when you say that you're going to do something, you make sure it gets done. You keep your commitment. Yeah, that's true. All right. So the first step is check your own trustworthiness, check your own authenticity, and, and then start a dialogue and see if there's a match there and then a match of shared objectives. And I'm going to throw one more into the ring because my experience with joint ventures is one of the things that created the most challenge for me was not double checking on the audience match on is my niche similar enough to your niche that my the language of my tribe is going to be understood by your tribe and the language of your tribe is going to be understood by my tribe because when that's not a good match it's really an a chance to practice but it's not profitable. And quite frankly, I think we're in, all in the business of looking for profitable opportunities. 
So doing the due diligence that's appropriate to make sure that we have a good match is, is key. But I think that comes after you've established the potential for a possible venture. You don't want to I be- I think you're right. I think that the, when you, because profitable ventures don't have to be just, you know, what we used to call a stage swap or right. a, a webinar swap or an email out, you know, that there are so many creative ways now that I'm wondering if we could have just called this creative collaboration and start a whole new program <laughs> on well, helping people get this flexibility. When I saw the title that you put up, uh, that you uh, published for my talk, I said, dang, that is a great title for a course. <laughs> And, and well, you guys heard it here first. There may be a class coming that will actually deep dive into this a little bit more. But this is really, really cool, Dom. That the, the idea that the structure of a team, what you went through on the cutter, the structure of creating a high level collaborative agreement when you were working with the um, Navy on, on your other project. Now we're talking about taking it into the entrepreneurial realm. And in those first two scenarios, trust was kind of assumed. You know, the, yeah. the Coast Guard would trust the Navy and the Navy would trust the Coast Guard because you were entity to entity. Right. You know, and there's established the, trust between, uh, based on the stature of each organization. Yeah. And on the, on the cutter in the first example, Trust was implied simply because you guys had already entrusted each other with your lives. You were working together as a unit in a hazardous duty. So those things had trust sort of built into the framework. And in the entrepreneurial world, it doesn't exist. We don't even know. You know, we don't even know what's true and what's not true. You know, the amount of, I know they've been doing a lot of fact checking because we've been in a, in a political election cycle, right. but very few people are fact checking on the marketing messages that entrepreneurs are putting out into the world. So this gets to be really muddy waters when we're talking about connecting authentically and being able to trust each other. So your point is very well taken the first step in building a collaborative relationship is to check your own trust factor, to check your own level of authenticity before the first conversation. Reputation really matters in this arena right now when it comes to online marketing. Yeah. I think it's critical to success. Uh, I haven't seen a lot, haven't had a lot of experience with it, quite frankly, but my, my sense is if, if you uh, do not show yourself as trustworthy to one entrepreneur that you're, you've attempted to work with, that news will get around and you won't be trusted by anybody. You know, I wish that was true. I wish no. that was true. In the speaking world, if I dissed or was disagreeable or in my language, I argued with an event planners rules and created conflict at an event where I was speaking, 
that word would get around because that's a really tightly knit community, association, right. event planners, et cetera. They communicate. But in the wide, wide world of online marketing, word doesn't get around very fast. And it, there's just too many messages out there and there's not a self-policing, if you will, that's happening at effectively enough, in my opinion. So I think it's incumbent on every entrepreneur to do their own trust level assessment and authenticity assessment, and then to be willing to do some due diligence, to be willing to check in on people's reputations. And that's harder to do than it used to be. I've been very, very fortunate, Dom, in that I started joining higher end masterminds. And that's where you and I met. You know, I mean, these, these higher end functions where we do share information about what we're seeing happening in the marketplace. Right. People who are not in authenticity typically do not work with mentors and masterminds at that level. They're flying beneath the radar screen. Yeah, so they, they fall out of masterminds pretty quickly if they're not highly authentic. And so there's a level of um, communication that happens at this level that I'm hoping will start happening and we share more information because it's really, really critical. Perhaps as we get further down the road and more joint venture managers uh, start working the marketplace and doing that pre uh, precisely, it will help vet joint venture partners for clients to the point where the, the client can trust the joint venture manager for having completed that process for them. You know, for, I'm sorry, I didn't give you a proper introduction. Let me give you a proper introduction. Okay, so you are a joint venture manager. You're in the final phases of a certification program that was put together by our shared mentor, Amana Guy, one of the people who's totally changed my business over the years that I've worked with him. And so, Dom, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. This is what's been missing in this joint venture collaborative space of online marketing is there wasn't a community of people who knew enough people to be able to share information and to be able to guide us because I've been in the role of being my own joint venture manager. And as lovely as that has been, and it will always stay that way when it comes to the summit, I will always vet my own speaker for the summit. I don't see that ever change. So. But on all of my business things, on my other joint venture things, the things I do with my six-week course, the from self-sabotage to self-empowerment course, you know, those kinds of affiliate relationships and joint ventures, you know, I mean, I've already said I'm in to be your case study, and there was a reason. There is such a huge need for someone who can manage these relationships once an entrepreneur has their money engine working where they've got a course, they've got some way of having sustainable income, they are going to need to be doing joint ventures in order to be able to scale without spending all of their minutes on marketing. And that's why we said, let's talk about this. Because 
all of the skills we're talking about, by the way, for joint venturing in business apply to planning a family vacation. They apply to you know, negotiating with a boss. These are all opportunities for joint ventures. We just don't call them that. And so the military to business examples also apply. So, all right, we got some high, high quality questions coming in and I love this. So Dom, we're gonna we're gonna just cut right to the chase here. I know you have probably had a lot of content, so run it fast, and we're gonna get to a question. Well, this this is fine. I'll go right to questions if they like. But I wanted to make sure that we got this the the uh, overview of what collaborative leadership is and how it really kind of weaves its way through all facets of entrepreneurship as it as it has been doing as it has been happening and in corporate America and in, within the government. So uh, I think we tapped most of that. There's more opportunity, but collaborative leadership really came into vogue in the late 90s uh, on the heels of uh, total quality management. Which I remember been. those days. Yeah, if you remember those days, it's, it's almost like the management program du jour. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and that's true. And so going back to the basics, the things that absolutely have stood the test of time. So we're applying all of these time-tested leadership and collaboration processes and the overview of it and coming into this joint venture space because we're all in the virtual business. We all have our businesses online, even huge corporate brick and mortars are now into the online space. So the question we have is, what are a few things that someone could ask a prospect, a prospective JV partner? What are the few things that a, somebody- I'm thinking that maybe we could do a joint venture. Let's have a phone call. What yeah. are some things I might wanna be prepared to talk about? You'd like to talk about what is your what is what is the field that you're in, what 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 are your course products, uh, what are you what are you what is your target market? We really need to know what the target market is, and what's the topic of your primary program that you would like to seek a joint venture with, and then what is the structure of the program? Is it a webinar? Is it a six week course? Or how does it follow from a uh, low end to mid level to high level program. If you have a, if you have an ascendancy ladder, if you will. So we need to know all of the background within your particular offering. And then lastly, we'd like to know a little bit about you and what, what, why or how you, you came to this decision to present this particular program. And then finally, as far as the execution goes, uh, Joint venture partners would like to know from a reciprocal standpoint, what type of a target market mailing list do you have available? So understanding what the target market list size is uh, that's, that's available. Uh, and, and then going even further, uh, what are your conversion rates? Your opt-in, your, opt uh, your, your clicks for people coming in off of your uh, list? to your potential opt-ins. So those are a number of things that I would be looking for as a joint venture manager for my for a client. 
Okay, and I'm gonna just offer some reassurance for anyone who is new into the entrepreneurial space or you're using a system that doesn't allow good tracking of this kind of information. There are some really simple tools. We'll make sure you have access to them in the show notes. And so don't, don't stress if you don't have tracking software, if you don't know how to keep track of these details, you don't need them to start out. Something to be aware of and to aspire to, yes, but you do not need them. So I just wanna reassure people because that sounded like a very overwhelming list if I was listening through new ears. Um, so let's take what you do really need to know. You need to know what you offer, who you offer it to, and why. And you start with that. What you offer, the outcome they want, who you offer it to, and why. Why your program, why this audience. And this is just about what is your passion, what is your commitment to them. And the reason that's important is because if you're really clear on yours, it'll show. You will come across as authentic and trustworthy. And, and lastly, I'll just re remind everyone that after you present what Jackie has just summarized, you also want to let people know what the value of your program is and what you're offering it for. So the, the joint venture manager or your joint venture partner will have an understanding for that. And this is not about you need to be priced at a certain place. And it's not about that you need to have an offer that they're looking for. This is about you just need to know what is comfortable for you. What are you willing to be consistent with? And consistency will help you. You can always change it, but, but just look for where is my comfort zone in any kind of a relationship. And I'll give you some examples. I have one product that I offer an 80% affiliate commission. Why? Because it's the Suicide Prevention Advocacy Training Program. I want to absolutely reward anyone who puts that program in front of more eyeballs. Now, the other 20%, I don't keep. That goes to my head trainer. You know, they get 20%, the affiliate gets 80%. This is not a funding source for the nonprofit. This is a course through my company. And how does it benefit the nonprofit? It is right on point with the mission. And the nonprofit has scholarship money for the teens. So that all plays really, really well together. So that's one example. Now on my own program, the self-sabotage to self-empowerment program, I offer a 30% affiliate commission. And that's the same whether it's somebody sending it out to their list or whether they're saying, hey, Jackie, come do a webinar to my tribe. My tribe wants to know how to go from self-sabotage to self-empowerment. So I'll come in and do a webinar and then everything in that comes from that webinar, they end up with 30% of the proceeds of that. And there are strategies around how to do joint ventures, depending on what your offering is. So having a conversation, whether or not you're ready to work with a joint venture manager, but having a conversation around structuring joint venture partnerships, that's priceless. So good to know. I'm glad that that worked out. So when the conversation goes to collaborative leadership, 
and we substitute the words joint venture partnership, they're exactly the same. They are exactly the same. The ideal joint venture partnership is going to look like creative collaborative leadership. And so Dom, thank you very, very much for being willing to take the time to come in and have this conversation with us. We have, I saw Katie sent, sent me a note. I'm looking for it that, that you made just this amazing offer. So Katie, can you pull that together for people? Because this is going to blow them away. Um, and if you are in watching this as a replay, if you don't see the link in the show notes, don't worry, we will get you in touch with Dom before whatever his offer is at the time. So we're putting this into the chat for everyone. Dom, you've been incredibly generous with both your expertise and your time and sharing this with our tribe. I really, really appreciate your calm presence into this world that so desperately needs leadership. And you said it very well, when we can be leading ourselves, leadership of one, that's where it's got to start. And so thank you very much. Jackie, you're most welcome. And I really appreciated the opportunity to, to speak about this particular topic. And I recognize that we're involved with team leadership, but just if I may put a, a plug in, uh, teens that do grow up, uh, sometimes become members of the military and the military, including the Coast Guard, uh, has a significant uh, suicide issue as well, as do our returning veterans. And that's a topic for another day, but I thought I'd just make sure that people are aware of it. Suicide, the equal opportunity epidemic. No group is unscathed. The numbers are staggering. We've lost more military to suicide than we have to battle, even if you go back through all time. It's a little known phenomenon. And I appreciate you mentioning it, Dom. We are the Suicide Prevention Society. We are looking to turn the tide on the epidemic of suicide and leading yourself first is a great place to start. Thank you, Dom. You're welcome, Jackie, and thank you again for the opportunity. And I hope the rest of your seminar goes as well as uh, it's gone thus far. <laughs>